Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, October the 10th, 2023. It is currently 3.37 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. When you think of Abraham, you know, the Abraham in the book of Genesis, when you think of Abraham, the Abraham that's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, when you think of Abraham, the Abraham that's mentioned in uh, Romans chapter 4, okay, he's mentioned in a lot of places. The Abraham that you read about in the Bible, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Okay, that Abraham, whenever you think of that Abraham, if we were doing a Bible pop quiz, right? If we were doing a Bible pop quiz right now, and I'm like, okay, class, grab a piece of paper, grab a pencil, All right, what's the very first thing that comes to your mind when I say Abraham? I could be wrong, but I would think that well over 50%, maybe well over 70% of the students would write down faith. Because Abraham and faith seem to be just forever linked. Some may say the Abrahamic covenant, which would be a very good thing to say, but faith, 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 faith. Some could say justification by faith because he was declared righteous because he believed, not because of what he did. But but there's a lot of things that's connected with Abraham. But I think faith is the thing that we tend to, to think about, right? That he had such great faith, his faith, his faith. But today, I want to talk about Abraham, and instead of talking about his faith, I want us to talk about his fear and his doubt, that fear led to doubting. Abraham experienced, even as someone who was a believer, someone who believed in God, someone whom God had spoken to numerous times, God had revealed himself, God had spoken to him, someone that Abraham had believed, he believed in God, yet at times, because of circumstances, because of life, he was filled with fear, which led to doubt. That is what I want to talk about. And here is what occurred. Now, I I could have taken this down. I could have just, I could have created my own notes. I could have just done all of this and never go to the original source. But you know, I love to take people back to the original source. I always love to, even at church, if I, if I get an idea or something from a book, I always typically bring the book. I bring the book. I don't, I could just sit at home and take the notes from the book, but I always like to bring people back to the original source. So here's what happened. I got up to the studio. I don't know what time I walked up into the studio this morning, but I sat down and I was like, what? do I do today? What am I going to do today? What am I going to broadcast about today? Well, I mean, obviously we have the horrible, horrible situation unfolding within Israel and Gaza. I mean, I, I, but I don't want this to turn into just a news podcast, but you know, I could look and see what other pastors or churches or sermons, what are people saying? I could talk about that. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I, I was just kind of struggling. And so I opened up the the, the Mac, uh, the MacBook Pro, and I opened up beta.sermonaudio.com, the beta website. And as soon as I opened it up, the first thing that popped up, obviously it dominates the, the like the home tab whenever they're broadcasting was Bob Jones University. They were broadcasting. And it was the chapel service. And I don't know exactly what time it it airs, but it was live. And I was like, okay, you know, just unmute the unmute the uh, volume and let's start listening. And it started, it started, and I was like, okay, all right, that that, that question seemed a little uncomfortable, whatever. Okay. That seemed kind of odd, all right. But it's a chapel service. You're trying to get the students involved. Okay. All right. And then I kept listening. And then all of a sudden I was like, whoa. This is interesting. And then I'm like, whoa, this is really good. Then I was like, whoa, this is getting even better. And by the time it was over, I was like, 
wow, that was good. I've got to do something with that. I've got to go back and listen to that. I got to take some notes. I've, I've got to, because I've got to do something with that because it dealt with Abraham, but it didn't deal with his faith. It dealt with fear and doubt. And it, it really was, I thought it was very well, very well done. Now the sermon really wasn't just about Abraham. It was about, I think, three different individuals, but I just listened to that first part about Abraham and I stopped it after that because I was like, whoa, that is really good. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back. We're going to go to Bob Jones University from this morning. We're going to go back in time and we're going to go to the chapel service that happened this morning on the campus of Bob Jones University. And we're going to listen to it because it was really, really good. If you listen to it uh, already today, well, then great. Hopefully my analysis, commentary, hopefully my perspective will add something to it. If you missed it, Personally, I think you're in for a treat and you should go listen to the whole sermon. We're not going to review the whole sermon. We're only reviewing the first part about Abraham, Uh, but you can just look up Bob Jones University um, on the beta.sermonaudio.com website or the Sermons 2.0 app and uh, you you can uh, listen to it for yourself, the whole thing. But I thought it was really, really good, brought up some very, very interesting points. And so we're going to dive in, and that's what we're going to do for the next, I don't know, forever how long it takes us. And hopefully you will enjoy it and you will benefit greatly from it. All right. I know there's a lot of things going on in the world, Ukraine, Israel, the things with Israel just continues. Rockets were launched from Syria today. Things are just continuing to get, uh, you know, just so crazy over there. But what we, I will continue to try to monitor that and talk about different aspects to it. But again, I, I, I think it's very important for us to also maintain that this podcast is constantly trying to get us into the Word of God and focused on that. Uh, and not just, you know, just dealing with current events and things along those lines, trying to find that balance. So I think this is a good place to start. And because when you see what's going on in the world, it can lead to fear, which seems to lead to doubt. Let's follow this and see where it goes. Again, this was the Bob Jones University Chapel service from this morning. I thought it was really, really, really good. Hopefully you'll go listen to the whole thing. We're just going to review the first segment of this message. Here we go. Well, I would like for all of us to help each other this morning. I'm going to ask a question in just a moment. And I would like all of you, if it applies to you, to raise your hand. And you're not allowed to hesitate and look at your friend and see if he or she raises his or her hand, okay? If it's any consolation, I'm going to raise my hand. Here's the question. How many of you at some point in your life have really struggled with doubts about your salvation? Let me see your hands. All right, look around. Look around. Did you think that you were all alone? John Calvin writes, we are agitated. All right, now I I didn't see the camera on the video today. It did not pan out. To show you all the hands, it did not. It did not show you all the hands. So, but clearly, uh, but clearly, he. Well, so, someone in the chat just raised their hand. Clearly, there were a lot of people. Now, when I tuned in, I didn't hear the first part of that. I just heard, "Did you think you were alone?" And it just then that awkward silence. It was like weird. I was like, "What? What?" What are you asking these college kids? What is going on here? But now it makes a little bit more sense. Do you, have you ever experienced doubts of your salvation? All right. And then, uh, well, did you think you're alone? Clearly, meaning people all across the chapel, all across the sanctuary there, obviously raised their hands. And he, he was, he felt confident that he could ask that question and people were going to raise their hand. He, he didn't seem, he didn't feel like that there was any, like he was not at all, it seems, I mean, that would have messed up his entire illustration, right? He, he felt like he could just easily do so. And immediately I went like, now that I hear that, oh, my whole thinking here is, is dramatically changing. But let me say this. Okay. I, I don't know how I can say this. I'm going to say this in a, hopefully in a way that will be beneficial. When you doubt your salvation you are doubting the finished work 
of Jesus Christ. To doubt one's salvation is to doubt the one who paid for it. You're doubting the one who died for it. You're dying. You're doubting the one who kept the law for you. You're doubting the finished work of Christ because you're so typically when we doubt our salvation is because we're looking in the mirror. We're looking to ourselves. We're looking into our heart. We're looking into our actions. We're like, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe that I desire that. I can't believe I just thought that. I can't believe that I'm even considering this. You're looking to yourself. If you look to yourself, you'll be in a perpetual state of doubt because yourself will always fall short of God's standard. No, you, we, I never doubt my salvation because I don't doubt the one who died for me. I don't doubt his blood. I don't doubt his death. I don't doubt his burial and his resurrection. I don't I doubt, I don't doubt that he ascended to the right hand of the father and there he maketh intercession for me. I don't doubt the fact that uh, my salvation is because of an imputed righteousness. I don't doubt any of that. Now, I used to doubt my salvation when I thought that the way I looked for assurance was to look to myself. Okay, okay, which, which test do I look at today? Which test? Oh, here's the MacArthur test. Here's the Jonathan Edwards test. Well, then it's doubt, 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 because I always failed the test. And I couldn't understand why everybody else was walking around church going... Well, I'm doing great. Well, what do you mean? I, I've got the same test you've got. I know you're failing the test. What are you talking about? Right? Or when you listen to a, a church preach a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount going, the Sermon on the Mount is this, those who follow the Sermon on the Mount and live according to it are those who demonstrate that their repentance was genuine. I'm like, who could believe that? Because everyone falls short of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the whole point. It's the law. So to doubt one's salvation is to doubt Christ. To doubt one's salvation is to doubt his death, to doubt his blood, to doubt his, his intercession, to doubt his propitiation, to doubt his imputation. You're doubting everything about him. You're not doubting yourself. You're doubting him. You're not doubting or questioning your, you, you may think you're questioning yourself or your works or what you do. You need to question, you're questioning him because in Christ, your salvation is, is finished, done. It's completed because it was purchased by him. But he, so he starts with, with salvation. I didn't know that was the, the approach he was taking. See, now hearing that adds me, now I may take this sermon. I may take my review in a different direction because I interpreted it completely different, but at least he starts there. But now he's getting ready to quote Calvin. I know I cut it off right as he started to mention Calvin, but he's getting ready to give us a quote from Calvin. I'm, I'm guessing that deals with fear and doubt. All right, here we go. ...with a great variety of doubts. He refers to great internal afflictions which troubled him during his university days. He later wrote, I was so afraid that I wanted to die to be rid of those fears. More than once, I've had a student come to my office and talk to me about his or her doubts and express that he or she was suicidal. So I'd like to see whether today we can get some help from the scriptures with this deeply troubling issue. We're going to look at three individuals today, and two of them will help us identify two major sources of doubt. And the third will hopefully, hopefully point us toward a solution. So let's turn first to Genesis chapter 20. All right, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 20. But now, now he's dealing with, now Calvin had so much doubt that he wanted you know, possibly to die. He's had college students come into him, again, at a Christian university with so much fear and doubt contemplating suicide. Now, that seems to go to a kind of fear and doubt that goes beyond questioning one's salvation. So see, that's why I didn't realize at the time that this was really, is it really about questioning one's salvation or did he just start with that question? I don't know. But I know this, Christians are filled with fear and doubt about many things, even though we pretend that we don't want to be or we shouldn't be, are we not? I know that Christians love, we, we sell Christianity by saying, come to Jesus and you'll never have any fear. You'll never have any doubt. You'll never have any need. You'll, okay, we, I know we sell it, but the reality is we're just like everyone else and we are filled with fear and doubt. What well, leads to that fear and doubt? 
And is there a solution? Now, he's just going to look at Abraham and Abraham's fear and doubt to start off with. Then he's going to go to the the second two people, which I did not listen to. And supposedly the third one is going to be the one that gives you the solution. So you may be left to go listen to that on your own. But I, I just want you to hear everything he has to say about Abraham. I would challenge you at this point, because I know at least what's coming here. Grab a notebook and a pencil or a pen. I don't care what you use at this point. I don't care if you use permanent marker, magic marker, crayon. I don't care. And you may want to write down some of these. He's going to give ages, right? Like how old Abraham was at this point, how many years had elapsed from this event to this event, how many times God is going to speak to Abraham or reveal himself. And I think that these numbers add a a, a touch of reality to the story because it gives us like, you know, hey, he was this old and it was this time. I I think some of that adds something to this. So you may want to write all of this down. I'm going to do a lot of stopping. I grabbed a notebook. I did not take any notes the first time. Abraham, I have fear and doubt. And I'm going to, uh, I may try to take some notes in real time. Or it may not make for the best (laughs) sermon review because I shouldn't be taking notes. But remember, I always like doing this like we're listening to this together and we're enjoying it. So hopefully you're ready. Are you ready? All right, here we go. All right, book of Genesis. So open up to the book of Genesis. Be ready. All right. And if you take good notes... Send me your notes when you're done, okay? Send me your notes. Because then then if my note, because when I'm done writing my notes, I won't be able to read them anyway because my handwriting looks like ancient Egyptian hieroglyph. Ancient Egyptian hieroglyph. What is the word? I don't even remember the word. Okay. But I I will not be able to read it. I will not be able for one second to even be able to interpret what it looks like. All right. So are you ready? All right. Here we go. Genesis chapter 20. Now, Genesis has nothing good to say about Abraham's nephew, Lot. He covets the best land. He settles among the pagans in Sodom. He offers his virgin daughters to be violated by the wicked men of Sodom. Abraham, on the other hand, is progressively the man of faith. He trusts God's promises. He offers Lot the best land. He even rescues Lot. And in Genesis 20, he is now 99 years old. 24 years have passed since God first called him up out of Ur of the Chaldees. And God has promised him that within one year, he will have a son. Early in the morning, Abraham stands on a vantage point and he overlooks the vast Jordan plain. Okay, he gives lots of numbers there really, really fast. Uh, he, I, uh, see, now I understand he's in a chapel service and I know he's got a limited amount of time, but I'm going to back this up where we can try to get some of these numbers and dates and ages down. And Egyptian hieroglyphics is what I was trying to say. E- Egyptian hieroglyphs is what I was trying to say. I don't know why I couldn't say the word. All right, but I forget about that. Forget about that. Forget about that. We need to get these numbers. We need to get these dates. We need to get this information down because it adds something to this. So we're in Genesis 20. He says Abraham is 99 years of age. He's been 20, did he say 24 years? I think he said 24 years since. So uh, we'll, we'll back this up and get some of this information. It goes really quick, but here we go. You ready? Here we go. So let's turn first to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. Now Genesis has nothing good to say about Abraham's nephew Lot. He covets the best land. He settles among the pagans in Sodom. He offers his virgin daughters to be violated by the wicked men of Sodom. Abraham, on the other hand, is progressively the man of faith. He trusts God's promises. He offers Lot the best land. He even rescues Lot. And in Genesis 20, he is now 99 years old. 24 years have passed since God first called him up out of Ur of the Chaldees. And God has promised him that within one year, he will have a son. Early in the morning, Abraham stands on a vantage point, and he overlooks the vast Jordan plain. And there he sees, boiling up over the horizon, great big plumes of smoke. 
Sodom, Gomorrah, and the cities of the plain have been incinerated. And there could hardly be any greater confirmation of Abraham's righteous choices and Lot's unrighteous choices than seeing this dramatic scene. But surprisingly, Abraham turns his back on that scene. He goes down to Gerar, and he begins acting like Lot. Look at verse 1. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but as a dead man, but the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Abraham offered his wife to a pagan king. And not only his wife, but the chosen womb through whom the Messiah would ultimately come. Friends, this is despicable. And two dialogues follow, first between God and Abimelech, and then between Abraham and Abimelech, in which it appears, ironically, that Abimelech is the more righteous of the two. Abraham's abandonment of Sarah threatens to bring God's death stroke upon Abimelech's entire family. So what was Abraham thinking? Well, look at verse 13. Abraham says, And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place, whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. And Abraham is referring to God's original call some 24 years earlier. And he indicts God. God caused me to wonder, as if his folly was really God's fault. Now, right there is already super interesting because I've never perceived it. But in a roundabout way, Abraham, it does. I mean, you can read that for yourself. He kind of is insinuating, hey, God's the one who caused us to wander. And because God's causing me to wander, well, then we're in this situation. We're in this situation. But wait a minute. Why is Abraham being filled with fear here? What's causing the fear? What's causing the doubt? What's causing the fear and doubt? Does he not know? Now, remember, if he's already been told at this point, wait a minute, you are going to have a child and you're going to, and let's say God tells him you're going to have a child and you're going to name the child, then that would mean that Abraham would know he has to be alive. So then he shouldn't have anything to fear. But he offers up his wife. And if he offers up his wife, he's offering up, in a sense, the one who's supposed to is, is not the Messiah or is she not the one who's supposed to have the son from whom God said you were going to have this son and 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 from him a nation and all the different promises associated with it? Why is Abraham acting in this way? Why is he almost now blaming God? Why now is he acting out of fear that he's offering up his wife. Hey, 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 just if they take you, they take you. If, I mean, I mean, I, it, it seems so contradictory. What, what happens? How do we get here? Let's see if he unpacks this. But Abraham had tried out this scenario 24 years earlier back in Egypt and had met with a similar disaster. But I wonder if we're tempted to be just a little bit sympathetic with Abraham at this point. After all, he is a pilgrim wandering around in a hostile environment. Well, let's take just a moment and let's get the fuller story. Would you turn back to Genesis chapter 15? Genesis chapter 15. Now, God first spoke to Abraham back in chapter 12. Abraham was then 75 years old. And God made three specific promises that we now think of as part of the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham will become a great nation. Abraham will have a great name. And Abraham will be a source of universal blessing to all the earth. Of course, these promises hinge on a single factor. He must have a son. God spoke to Abraham a second time in Genesis 13, and essentially he reiterates the same promises. 
And that brings us to chapter 15, where God speaks a third time. Abraham is now 85 years old, and after 10 childless years, Abraham understandably has a question. Here's the question, God, what about Eliezer? Eliezer was his servant. Could God fulfill his promises through his servant? But God responds, no. Your son, your biological son, will be your heir. And then God reiterates the same promises. And would you carefully observe Abraham's response in Genesis 15 and verse 6? And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, in Romans 4, Paul quotes the same verse to prove that Abraham was saved by faith. So clearly, Abraham is a believer at this point. And that means that any future doubt that he experiences is the doubt of a believing man. Now, I think that's super critical. Anything that happens after Genesis 15, 6 are the actions, the feelings, the doubts, the fears of a believing man. Now, I know Christians love to say, but, but, but wait a minute, wait a minute. That was the Old Testament and they're different than us. We're better than them. We have more power. We have more strength. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We can do so much better than them. And it's like, oh, come on now. I wish we would stop that nonsense because we commit the same sins and the same struggles just like they did. Okay. So as a believer, whatever happens after this is, and just remember, this is very important. In Genesis 15, God has now spoke, revealed to Abraham three times. So not only has Abraham believed, he has been spoken to, in a sense, God has revealed himself three separate times. Times, it appears, according to the narrative of the way he just presented it, he says Genesis 15 is the third time, is the third time. So it's not like Abraham is, he doesn't, you can't blame ignorance or not. He's been giving these promises, these amazing promises that hinge on the fact that you are going to have a son. And no, 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 no. It's not your servant. You're going to have a a biological son. He's been given instructions. He's been given promises. He's been given revelation, right? So what happens? Let's see. Now, in Genesis 17, God appears to Abraham a fourth time, and he reiterates the same promises. However, however, Abraham is now 99 years old. Sarah is 90. After 14 more years, Abraham understandably has another question. God, what about Ishmael? Ishmael was Abraham's biological son through Hagar, but he was not Sarah's son. Might God fulfill his promise through Ishmael? And God responds, no. Sarah, your wife shall bear a son indeed, and you will name him Isaac. Now remember that. God tells Abraham, you are going to name your son Isaac. In Genesis 18, perhaps within weeks, God then speaks to Abraham for a fifth time. And he reiterates the same promises, and then he adds this, your son will be born within one year. This is very important. In Genesis 18, God now has spoken to Abraham five times, five times. He has made it very clear, you're going to have a son. You are going to name him. And then in Genesis 18, you're going to have a son within one year. He's been, God has revealed himself five times, giving him his promises, giving him specific instructions. I mean, Abraham has, he has believed God and it's been counted unto him as righteousness. God has revealed promises. He's got everything. So anything that happens at this point, you've got to put it in this fuller context. The fuller context is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How could Abraham then get later on here and, and then say, hey, uh, I'm going to offer you up to basically a pagan king and because you've got to protect me. Wait a minute, Abraham, God gave you specific promises. You've got to be around for some of this. You're going to name the child. You're, you're going to have a child within a year. You can't be giving up your wife to another man who, if, if she has a child with him, 
uh, I think we can probably work out the math. There's no way then she's going to have your child within a year. Okay, there's it's not going to work out. What what is what why why what is happening here? Let's 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 continue to listen. And now turn back to Genesis 20, and let's put it all together. Abraham had five increasingly specific promises stating precisely what God would do. In one year, Abraham, you will name your son through Sarah, Isaac. And that's when Abraham journeys to Gerar and abandons his wife to a pagan king. If Sarah is impregnated by Abimelech and carries another man's child for 40 weeks, there is no way possible, mathematically, that she's going to have Abraham's son this time next year. Why then does Abraham choose this moment to abandon the chosen womb? What a question. Why does Abraham take this moment to abandon the chosen womb, to abandon the woman who's supposed to bring forth the child that all these promises hinges on? Why would Abraham seem to forget that God has spoken to him five times? saying that you're going to have a child within a year and you're going to name him. That would mean he would have to understand he's got to be alive, right? I mean, God has shown him all of these things. What, what, why, why this time? What, what, why is Abraham thinking this way? What is happening? Abraham is threatening not only the birth of Isaac, but he is threatening the promised line of Messiah. In fact, the situation is so desperate, God just steps in and closes all the wombs of all the women. We've got to get this fixed. So what was Abraham thinking? Well, look at chapter 20 and verse 11. Abraham explains his reasoning. And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Abraham was afraid for his life, and he jeopardizes the whole covenant. But friends, is there anything faulty in his reasoning? Abraham cannot die. He has yet to name his son. If God tells you this time next year you're going to name your son Isaac, well, guess what? You're going to be around this time next year, right? Abraham could have worked to that conclusion based on God's promises without too much effort. So what then is the source of his doubt? Well, clearly Abraham rationalized himself into disbelief through fear. Abraham rationalized himself into doubt because of fear. Abraham rationalized himself into doubt because of fear. Fear leads to doubt. When one fears, they doubt. Even if the fear goes against the actual promises of God. See, if you begin to fear, let's say your salvation, fear that you're not saved, what is leading to that? What, 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 or if you begin to doubt your salvation, it's because you're fearing something. What do you fear? You're fearing you're not saved. But what's leading to that fear? Clearly not the finished work of Jesus Christ. Clearly not his promises. Clearly not his blood. Clearly not his imputed righteousness. Clearly not his passive and active obedience. Clearly what is leading to your fear is your life, your actions, as which leads to doubt. Fear leads to doubt. Fear leads to doubting one's salvation. Fear leads to doubting all kinds of things. Fear is what leads to it. Whenever you have doubt, you got to go figure out what's causing the fear. Why are you fearing? And then is that fear, what is that fear based on? What is it based off of? Is it based off something real? Is it based off something true? Or is it based off your own, you're just your own thinking, your own selfishness, your own whatever it may be? Let's see how he articulates this. This is how doubt frequently works. We hold all of God's promises in one hand, but trouble comes, and we just reason ourselves right into disbelief. 
We are confronted with new questions, new issues, new perplexities, new challenges, new hardships, new life situations. And we allow our reasoning to take us to a very dark place. Now, let's be clear, the Bible nowhere forbids reason. Abraham could have reasoned from God's promises to the truth that he couldn't die. God's covenant guaranteed it. But Abraham allowed his reason, provoked by fear, to turn God's promises into an opportunity for disbelief. Now, let's turn to John chapter 20. Now, you can go listen to the rest. You can go listen to the rest. Now, those are, I, I, I wanted to stop, like if I, if I probably, probably if I wasn't doing a live broadcast, I would have stopped that a lot more and wrote down all of those dates a little bit better. I know I told you to write them down. He goes through them so fast. Uh, Genesis 20, 99 years old. I think Genesis 15, 75 years old, but Genesis 15 is the third time God has spoke. So you have to go back to Genesis 11 and 12 for the first, I guess, two times God spoke to Abraham. And then the third time, okay. And then we have Genesis. Genesis 17, and then Genesis 18, and then up to Genesis chapter 20. We have, we have all of those times and, and how many years elapse between each one and, and God's specific promise that you're going to have a son within a year, all of those things. But it all points to then when you get to Genesis 20, you're like, Abraham, what are you doing? Abraham, what are, why, why are you acting this way? And again, I'm going to read his words. Not my words, so that we don't have to speculate, but Abraham says specifically, um, I see here, uh, I see here. Okay, uh, look at, uh, or we'll go to verse 11. Okay, Genesis chapter 20, verse 11. And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, this is the kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place where we shall come. Say of me, he is my brother. He makes really a number of excuses if you want to break that down. Hey, look, there's no, these people don't fear God. These people are bad. This is a dangerous place, right? Uh, so say, so uh, for they, for they will kill me for my wife's sake. Hey, they don't fear God. They're, they could kill me. They could kill me. So we got to do something. And yet indeed, she is my sister. I mean, she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. All right. So then he tries like, well, it's kind of true. It's partially true. And then he goes, and it came to pass when God, when God caused me to wonder from my father's house, then he kind of blames God. I mean, God's the one who caused me to wonder. I mean, I wouldn't even be in this situation if I could have just stayed where I was. Um, I said unto her, this is the kindness which thou shalt show unto me. And I mean, hey, well, I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, she, she, she should show me some kindness by making sure that I, you know, that I don't die. I mean, the least she could do, because I'm such a great guy, is she should show me some kindness by doing this. I mean... Uh, yeah, she may get taken and used by another man, but I mean, at least I get to live. I mean, even his explanation there is kind of sad and horrible, which demonstrates that even as a believer, we can be placed in a situation when circumstances are right, that our fear leads to enough doubt that we do despicable things. We can do some really messed up things when our fear and our doubt takes over. Fear and doubt leads to some very, leads to a really deplorable situation. When we begin to fear, we begin to doubt. And when we begin to doubt, we begin to come up with our own ideas. And not only that, in some ways, he's making all kinds of excuses instead of saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. God has spoken to me five different times. He has revealed his promises to me. He's revealed his covenant to me. He made a covenant with himself that he would keep. He has done, I have believed in him. Uh, he has, he has clearly said, promised that we would have a child within a year that 
that that he, he's given me everything I could need to know. I should be able to reason from this that if I'm gonna if we're gonna have a child and I'm gonna be the one who names him, then clearly I have to be here. But I got into this situation and I let my circumstances and I let my situation lead to fear, and that fear leads to doubt, and then that doubt, fear, and doubt leads to really. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, you can you can call it whatever. It leads to compromise. It leads to sin. It leads to doing some really messed up things. Some very deplorable things. See, we t- typically see this story and we're just like, man, Abraham, he lied. Right? Oh, he showed a little bit of doubt. But I, I want you to see, you put it all together. It makes it stand out even worse when you look, wait a minute. God has spoken to Abraham five times. What more do you need? You've been given specific promises that depend, that are dependent upon you having a child. God says you're going to have a child within one year and you're going to name it. Abraham should have been like, hey, I don't need to worry. Why am I get worried about anything? Why am I worried? God's going to take care of the situation. But he doesn't rely on God. He begins to rely on himself. And this is very, very important. And the fuller context of this sermon, whenever you stop looking to God and relying on his righteousness and his finished work, and you look to your actions, your, your, yourself for some kind of assurance of one's salvation, you are going to be left with fear and doubt. And I think when one's Christian's life is filled with fear and doubt, even of one's salvation, it leads to, I think it leads to discouragement, depression, defection, deconstruction. I think it leads to just not, why, you know what? This is never going to work. I'm never going to be good enough. I, I think it leads you to then saying, you know, whatever, whatever, who cares? Who cares? I'm just going to do whatever I want anyway. So I think we can talk about how fear and doubt pertaining to one's salvation impacts us. And what leads to our fear and doubt of salvation is when we don't remember the finished. Look, Abraham forgot what God had revealed to him. He, he, he just, in a sense, just threw it away. God had, had given him everything you need. You're going to be alive. You're going to name your child. You're going to have a child within a year. God had, had, I've given you promises. All of these things are going to occur. So he turned away from what God was doing, said he would do what God said he would accomplish. He stopped looking to God and he looked to himself. And when he looked to himself, he's like, I've got to devise a plan. And he devised a plan that was despicable. That was cowardly. That was literally putting, in a sense, the way that the person spoke, the womb of his wife from which the line that would bring Messiah into jeopardy. And God, therefore, God had to intervene in a dramatic way. So when it comes to your salvation, when you look to yourself, when you look to your deeds, your actions, your righteousness, you will be filled with fear and doubt of one's salvation. When you stop looking to yourself and you look to the finished work of Christ, then there's no fear and there's no doubt. I think that, I think that's, I think that's perfect when it comes to our salvation. Now, when we step apart from our salvation and just living our Christian life, we sometimes can have fear and doubt about a, a multitude of things. And we cannot allow fear We can't allow fear to be the engine that governs our reason. See, when fear becomes the engine that drives, I says governs, let me say this, when, when, when fear becomes the engine that drives, that, that pushes forward your reason, if your reason is being driven by, being fueled by fear, a, 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 Fear-fueled reason, right? When your reason is being fueled by fear, a a fear-fueled reason will lead you to doubt, will lead you to all kinds of crazy things. Because when people start to fear, they say, they do, they they come up with crazy concepts and ideas that are, will almost always ends in devastation and destruction. It never helps. 
It never helps. You can never allow your reason to be governed or fueled by fear. I mean, I talk about it all the time. It's October. I can't, I mean, I would, I would love to be there right now. It's October the 10th, the entire month of October. If we could go, if we could get on an airplane right now and we could land in Boston and then from Boston take a car or we could, uh, we could take a boat, but we could once we got to Boston, but we could take car or boat and go to Salem. Well, guess what? In October, Salem is visited by hundreds of thousands of people and they're there because of witches and all of the scary stories and ghost stories but remember Salem is the place where the witch trials took place where people's reason was being fueled by fear which led to death death of individuals you can go uh, into Salem now there, there, there's there was a number of them scattered throughout the area there in Massachusetts. There's a number of places where they are because we don't really know where the people who were killed in the Salem witch trials were actually buried because, well, yeah, because they didn't give them a proper burial because well, they were supposedly witches, right? But that you can, there's at least one place you can go where they have the memorial stones, where they give the name of the individual and the date in which they were uh killed and how they were killed if it was by hanging or pressing or whatever however they were killed and and you had you had crazy stuff happening you have a man accusing his wife of being a witch you, you had crazy thing but it was all motivated by fear 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 leads to doubt and once once you begin to have a little bit of fear and you have a little bit of doubt then it then death destruction and really bad decision making comes comes into play so there's two aspects of this. When it comes to your salvation, you cannot look to assurance of salvation by looking to yourself. The minute you're no longer looking to God, no longer looking to God's revelation. No, look, you look to God's word. In Christ Jesus, you are perfect. You are holy. You are righteous. In Christ Jesus, all your sins are forgiven. In Christ Jesus, you're a new creature. The old is gone. Practically, you're still a sinner. You don't look to your practical circumstances. You don't look to your life. You look to the finished work of Christ. The minute you stop looking to the finished work of Christ, you're going to be filled with fear. And that fear, then you're going to allow your reason to be controlled by fear, which will lead to doubt, which will lead to depression, discouragement, maybe even deconstruction, or complete defection to some level. That's that's when it comes to salvation. When it comes to your normal life, what we have to do is never to allow fear to fuel our reason because that will lead to all kinds of doubts. That fear and that doubt, and that leads to detrimental decisions. It will. Now, what Abraham needed to do was rely on God's revelation of what God had said. Hey, this is God made these promises. He made these promises. God was going to keep these promises. God was going to ensure he was going to have a son. God was going to ensure he was going to bring a great nation. And what happened? God stepped in. Even when Abraham, because of his fear and his doubt, came up with an absolutely disastrous decision. Hey, I'm going to offer up, in a sense, the womb that of the woman who's supposed to produce the child from whom then ultimately that line, the Messiah will come and all the world will be blessed. God himself had to step in. God himself had to step in and take care of the situation. It's so easy to forget God's revelation. I know we always say, well, if God would appear to me, if God would just tell me how it's all going to work out. Abraham, he appeared to Abraham five times, five times. And then Abraham's like, hey, hey, um, you know what? I, 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 you know, this is, a, these are really bad people. You know, they don't fear God. And, 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 you know, hey, and, you know, God's causing me to wander around. So I'm kind of in this situation. And hey, Sarah, you know, I'm a really good guy. So, you know, the best you could do is show some kindness to me by, you know, going with him and spending the night with him or, or a couple of nights or a couple of months or, or however, how long he needs you. I mean, you look at that and you're like, how could that happen? But please note, it happened as a believer. And just please note, the pagan king demonstrates more 
you almost can see right, quote unquote, we'll use it from a human terminology, righteous behavior than the believer. He demonstrates more of a righteous attitude than the actual believer, Abraham. I said, but then why would God bless Abraham? Why would, because it's, because Abraham believed and it was counted righteousness. That's God showing mercy. And God's promises was not based on Abraham's righteousness. It was based on God's faithfulness and God's sovereignty. We can get into the whole Abrahamic covenant. That's why we believe many of those promises to Israel is not based off what they did or didn't do. Oh, there were covenants that they fell in, but the ultimate covenant was promised to them, not on the base of what they did, but what God would do. Fear fueled reason leads to doubt, which leads to detrimental decisions. Now, go look up Bob Jones University on the Sermons 2.0 app or the beta.sermonaudio.com website. Look for the newest message. In fact, fact, I'll just pull it up for you. I'll just pull it up for you here just a second so that you can find it quickly. I'll find it here for you quickly. All right. I'm going to go to the beta site. Maybe if I can get the beta site to open. Okay, it doesn't want to open. Hang on. Here we go. You can go to to the normal one as well. Just type in Bob Jones. Just type in Bob Jones, and then you can go to Broadcasters. Bob Jones University will be the first one. Doubt and Belief, Dr. Brent Cook. Uh, chapel service, fall 2023. Then you can go listen to the rest of that. I'd love to get your thoughts on the rest of it. He's going to give you one more individual who talks about what can cause, I guess, fear and doubt or what can cause this. And then he's going to give the supposed solution. I don't know what he thinks the solution will ultimately be, but I've kind of given you my own. So there you go. We will, we will, we will, we have to talk about this again at some point. But there, hopefully it was beneficial. And I do apologize that somewhere at the beginning there, for some reason, Egypt, Egyptian hieroglyphics, I could not say the word, or hieroglyphs, I could not get the word right. So I apologize for that. So I always, you know what I always remember after a broadcast, every mistake I made, not anything good that I said, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. But you know what? It's another example of the great thing about Christianity because you know what? I make mistakes every single day in my Christian life. I am filled with all kinds of wrong thinking, wrong desires, and I'm guilty of action by what I do and by what I leave undone. And I'm constantly would be left with nothing but fear and doubt if I look to myself. But I don't look to myself. I look to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And to doubt one's salvation is to doubt Christ. To doubt one's salvation is to doubt his finished work. And I know this, whenever we allow fear, whenever fear controls or drives our reason, it leads to doubt, which leads to detrimental decisions. And whenever, and that's true in our salvation, it's true in our practical life. Whenever fear of circumstance, of, of life, whatever it is, begins to drive my reason, it will lead to doubt, which will lead to detrimental decisions that always are destructive. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I hope that was beneficial. I'm going to go downstairs now because I know I know some parts of the country, it's like some kind of fall or cold or some weird thing. Here in Texas, I just know I am sweating. It is hot here in the studio. I need the air conditioning unit on, but I can't have it on when I'm broadcasting because it's too loud. All right. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a wonderful, wonderful Tuesday evening, and I'd love to get your feedback on all of this. Thanks for listening. God bless.